Alex Petrangelo officially hits the open market for the upcoming free agency period. The Ottawa Senators unveil a modernized look on a classic logo. And Stars versus Lightning for Lord Stanley's Cup. Who takes home the holy grail of hockey? You'll find out our predictions coming up next. This is the Deep Geeks Podcast, and it starts right now. It is the Deep Geeks Podcast. Welcome back to another episode. Glad to have you with us this week. I am Thomas Mercier. She's Amanda Sturkowski. And we are back for a brand new episode here on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts, wherever else you do find your podcasts. Uh, and we were actually on YouTube the other day, so I thought it was a pretty successful live stream. We did have a bit of difficulty uh, towards the tail end of it, so we do apologize for that. But we'll be back uh, tomorrow evening for the NHL Awards and Game 2 of the Stanley Cup Final. We'll talk about the Stanley Cup Final uh, towards the end of the show. We have a lot more to talk about. But Amanda, uh, obviously a lot of news has been happening over the last couple of weeks since we uh, last talked in terms of recording a new episode. And um, obviously... With, with the Stanley Cup playoffs happening, it's still really relatively busy. But now, because of the circumstances, we're seeing a lot more news about free agencies and trades happening because of the circumstances and everything starting sooner. So I think this news week has probably been one of the busier news weeks we've seen in this playoff so far. Definitely a busy news week, uh, for sure. We're starting to see some pieces getting moved around as clubs kind of start to figure out what next season is going to look like for them. And um, we've already seen some some big names uh, not only move, but also some interesting news as far as free agency and who may potentially uh, dip their toes in the free agency this year as opposed to re-signing with their clubs. Well, let's get to the first big piece of the free agency market for this offseason. Uh, we touched on this during the live stream uh, yesterday uh, because news came out uh, to, uh, yesterday, actually, that Alex Petrangelo will be testing free agency, which caught the surprise of a lot of people. People knew he was going to hit the free agency market, but there were still rumors that he could potentially sign a, a new contract with the St. Louis Blues. But now... Uh, him and the Blues management have agreed that he'll test free agency, but it does not rule out that he um, that he won't resign with the Blues. There's a report saying he might, but now Petrangelo, as you said, Amanda, gets to dip his toes into the free agency pool, and this sparked a debate online and kind of between us of where his next landing site could possibly be, you know, do we see him go back to St. Louis or do we see him possibly end up with a new team and maybe end up being closer to home? I suggest to Toronto possibly, but not unless the Leafs obviously make a lot more work. You and I agreed on that front. Colorado is in the mix as well, which I could possibly see. But again, you have to take uh, Kale McCarr's future contract into consideration. What happens with the other contracts down the road? Do you go after a new number one goalie? We don't know yet, but we're... In this free agency pool, does Petrangelo see himself and what kind of contract is he looking for? Well, I think at the end of the day, um, I think Petrangelo is looking for the respect that he deserves with a contract that you know reflects that. And uh, he's played all 12 seasons with the Blues. I think based on you know the the information that's available to us right now from what we can see is that this isn't something that's just suddenly fallen apart and there's bad blood it, i think it's more of a situation where a deal's been in the works for quite some time that they've been trying to work on this um i believe 
Pietrangelo even said it was about a year that they've been working on. Yeah, they've been trying to work out for it for a year. You know, I think that it comes to a certain situation where you just have to wonder, okay, maybe there are better options and maybe there is a better solution for both sides here. Um, He's made it no secret that he would love to return to the Blues, but the Blues need to come to the table, I think, with a much better offer, obviously, at this point than what he's seen so far in order to remain a St. Louis Blues. It's it's not going to be easy for St. Louis, especially now that Bill Armstrong is no longer there. We'll talk about him in just a moment. Um, but for the St. Louis Blues, obviously, you know, there's a lot more value to their franchise and to their players because they have the Stanley Cup tagged onto them. So do you think that raises Petrangelo's value even more? I, I do in some regards. Um, I think you have to look around at who he is as a player all around. Um, yes, the captaincy, he is a Stanley Cup champion. Uh, I think I think everything plays into that. He's a guy that your team is going to want on the ice in the final minute uh, because he has the ability to potentially score a big goal for a club. Or, you know, if you're defending a league, he's the, or a lead, he's the guy that you want out there. Yeah. And looking quickly at Cap Friendly, um, I don't know if you saw their cap situation, but they have a lot of expiring contracts uh, mm-hmm. after this year. You know, Alex Steen, Jaden Schwartz is going to get paid because he has been great the last few seasons. And that Stanley Cup run, I mean, how can he not earn a big boy contract, right? And then there's there's Tyler Bozak, who's also UFA. You got Zach Sanford, Ivan Barbashev, Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, and Jacob Delarose, all RFAs. And then, of course, one defenseman has uh, an expiring contract going into next year. And that would be Carl Gunnarsson. Of course, you got to worry about signing Vince Dunn and trying to get Petrangelo back here. But with the Marco Scandella contract, that really doesn't help the Blues going forward. And they still have to sign Jordan Bennington as well. So realistically, going forward, St. Louis is going to have a hard time trying to free up some room for Petrangelo. And I, I just don't see him signing with the Blues. Well, and and you look at his past contract, you know, he played the final season. This was his final season season of a seven-year, 45.5 million contract, average of about six and a half million. You know, and that was signed back in 2013. So things have changed. The economic landscape has changed as far as um, what we're expecting from teams when it comes to where they're going to take those big cap hits. And I think in this case, in order to sign... Their other UFAs, their um, restricted free agents that are coming up uh, in the next year to two years, we're looking long term because I think this deal that they would be looking at is not this isn't a one or two year type deal. They'd be looking at locking him in for quite some time. Long term. You got to make sure that you have that money because, yes, he's one player and yes, he's, you know, a dynamic part of their hockey club. But long term, you got to make sure that you've got room in your cap space to to sign everybody that you need to sign in order to have an opportunity to make another cup run. And, and we also need to remember Petrangelo is 30 now. His birthday was back on the 18th of January. He's 30. So, you know, if you sign him long term, how long are you really going to sign this guy for? Is it going to be more than five years? I, I just don't know if they sign him towards possibly hitting the wrong side of 30. It's the same thing for the least situation with Frederick Anderson moving forward because he's on the wrong side of 30 and his contract is expiring soon. Uh, Do you really overload this much money into a guy that's in his 30s now? Don't get me wrong, Petrangelo is an amazing defenseman, one of the best in the league, but he is 30. He's getting up there. And now he needs to dip his toes into the free agency pool for the first time in his career. And... 
I, I just don't know where Petrangelo goes from here. I mean, he, who knows how much he's asking for. And especially, Amanda, with the cap not going up next year, St. Louis is even more screwed because yeah. they, they don't get extra cap space. Neither does the Toronto Maple Leafs. So every team is screwed realistically. And we'll, we'll end the Petrangelo topic on this note. Do you think Petrangelo goes back home to Toronto? Because he is a King City native. Do you see Toronto being in this mix if they can get one more move done to free up cap space? Uh, I don't think so because I think if you look at the long-term uh, Toronto Maple Leafs and who they need to sign in the coming years, I think that this just doesn't fit for them long-term because I think he's going to be looking for five-year contract minimum. I Possibly like a five- to seven-year where that year six and year seven are – reduced obviously you're going to front load at the front of that um that contract but i do see him looking for a five-year contract yeah i would imagine a five-year contract because who knows what how he's going to be playing five years down the road so whichever team decides to take a swing at him hopefully it works out in the end and you know no matter where he goes amanda let's be realistic he's going to be the top defender on that team whether it's in st louis or somehow is in toronto or colorado He's going to be the top guy on that team, so we'll keep uh, we'll keep an eye on the Petrangelo sweepstakes moving forward. Let's get to some uh, let's get to some contract and trade related stuff that we already know is confirmed. Uh, big trade in both of our eyes that happened. It was really kind of out of left field as the Buffalo Sabers acquired Eric Stahl from the Minnesota Wild in exchange one for one with Marcus Johansson and. Nobody really saw this trade coming, and not even Eric Stahl himself saw it coming. He was very much blindsided by this trade. He, he It sounded like he wanted to end his career in Minnesota, but now he's going over to Buffalo in a really surprising move that I personally did not see. It was very much out of the blue in my eyes. I don't know what your take on it is, but I told you about the trade. You thought it was, you thought it was a pretty good trade, but again, this is for two players that are you know, not in their primes anymore. They're basically kind of just a death or leadership option, but is there really a decisive winner when it comes to this one for one? Um, I, I think Buffalo is going to actually end up coming out of this one ahead, uh, which is what I had said to you. And the reason I like this trade is because there is a history with Kevin Adams, the GM in Buffalo for, and Eric Stahl. Uh, you know, Adams was part of the Stanley cup, uh, winning team with Carolina in 2006 and I think that they're the history there and um, they've maintained a relationship you know throughout the years as much as I think that you know they have Stahl has tons of great memories with his family in Minnesota and and all this I think this could potentially spark a little bit in Stahl I'm not saying you're, you're going to get you know, 60 points out of him or, or more in a season in Buffalo. But I do think that he is going to play a role in Buffalo. And this is something that we've seen this past season with the Buffalo Sabres is that there's a real lack of, um, I think respect is kind of the right word, even though I'm not sure. I, I would, like, I would say respect. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I, I would there's say a that lack of respect within that dressing room for, uh, management coaching staff. And I think bringing in a guy like Eric Stahl can have a major impact on your dressing room because this is a guy who has been a proven leader, you know, throughout his time in the NHL. And I, I just, based on how he has played, how his leadership role that he has taken on in different forms, I see this being a really good fit for him in Buffalo and not necessarily 
to start off with. I, I think it might be a little bit rocky to start off with, but I think that, you know, this is something that the Buffalo Sabres are looking for as far as that leadership and that respect within the dressing room. And I think he can bring that to this hockey club and help turn around what was a abysmal Buffalo Sabres season. Do you think this trade will benefit Jack Eichel for him to really mature and start developing into um, that really strong player we expect to see? Uh, I think that Jack Eichel needs to mature. And if he doesn't mature soon, uh, I think there's going to be bigger issues for him because watching him play this season and how he carries himself both on and off the ice, there's a real disregard for, I think the management, the coaching staff again. And I I was going to say, does, does management play a factor in the dot? A hundred percent. And I think that Jack Eichel, okay, yes, you have the talent, but if you're going to walk around and you're going to be, um, a cocky asshole for lack of better terms. Uh, you know what? You need to be able to back that up. And when your team is losing consistently night in night out, and I can't even see you on the ice, even though you've got, you know, 20 plus minutes of ice time, there's a problem. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the, b- before we get to the other side, let's talk a, just a little bit more about stall. I mean, he was with Minnesota for four seasons. His best season was the 76 points he put up in 2017-18. But, I mean, um, you compare that to his other numbers. He he hasn't put up over 80 points since 2007-2008. And, I mean, he's, he's, he's 35. He's definitely on the wrong side of 30. Uh, I think Buffalo is probably the last place for him to play. I think his career is coming to an end at some point. It's a real shame because... I loved Eric Stahl growing up. I still love him today. This could prove to be a real good depth uh, piece for the Buffalo Sabres moving forward and hopefully, you know, for this new look Sabres team, uh, not just off the ice, but on the ice as well. Uh, It's really important for them to get a guy like Eric Stahl to really step in and try and be that veteran guy in the locker room that can maybe snap some sense into these guys, especially Jack Eichel. And uh, again, Eichel is an amazing talent, but he he does kind of have that attitude that just kind of rubs off wrongly. And that that's only because of what he said about management and how their recent performance has been over the last few years. So I, I think this could work for Buffalo. But when you look on the other side, let's talk about Marcus Johansson next. He's only 29, so he's still got a lot of years left ahead of him. But, but I mean... Last season was not a good year for him. He he did average under uh he averaged half a point per game and was a minus twelve with, with a really bad Buffalo Sabres team, mind you. He has put up decent numbers and it has been kind of a a point five points per game guy throughout the majority of, of his career. I mean, the most points he put up was with Washington in 2016-17. Um, but really for Johansson, he he has only played the majority of his career with Washington and then bounced to New Jersey for a couple seasons for like one and a half seasons, went to Boston. And then next thing you know, he's in Buffalo. And now he's in a brand new market in Minnesota. So do you think this move helps Minnesota in any way? Because again, they're locked up long-term with that suitor contract. And I mean, the Zach Barisi contract is obviously holding them up, but they got great guys like Kirill Kaprizov coming through that system very soon. Like, do you think this, trade for Minnesota is going to help them in any way, shape, or form? I think in some ways it will because, 
Johansson expects to move back to that center position, which is more of his natural position. And I think that um, in Buffalo, he was playing on the wing. Yeah, he's not uh, a winner. It was terrible. No, so I think that this could be a good move for them. At the end of the day, as much as you know, we can talk about him and the impact that he's going to have on Minnesota, for me personally, I think the impact really comes down to Buffalo. And I yeah. think Adams made a really great move with this one. Yeah, I, I think for Minnesota... Uh, unfortunately, they lose a great guy like Eric Stahl, but you still get a guy who's obviously younger than Stahl by six years, so that might help a little bit, but you, I, I just don't think Johansson is the long-term solution. Uh, I think everybody knows that at this point. Uh, and again, you've got a really, really good uh, prospect pool uh, well, in your future. Absolutely, and you know, Johansson, I think the thing with him too that you have to figure into this is that because of who is part of that Buffalo Sabres organization, I don't think he ever really found a place within that hockey club. No. And I think that moving to a new market, um, moving back to your natural position, I think can only benefit him at this point. So I would expect to see him have a much better season next year, um, playing in a position that he prefers to play in. And you know what? You've got a group of guys that are, they're looking to him to, to be, you know, one of the guys that they can go to. And, you know, we need a goal right now. We're sending him out, uh, you know, to make something happen, to create these plays. And I think that their expectation, at least from a Minnesota perspective, is that he is going to be that impactful centerman and that he has those opportunities that are going to be available to him. Like, where do you see him fitting in on this team? Like, do you see him possibly playing on a line with the likes of Matt Zuccarello or maybe Parise or Jordan Greenway moving forward? Yeah. Uh, I think him and Parise would be a good line combination for sure. Uh, it, Even with Fiala, I think would be a great would be a great mix because Fiala's been really good for Minnesota since they got him. Yeah, I, you know what? I think I think at the end of the day, like I think this is a team that he is going to fit in with and be able to produce offensively in a way that he hasn't since you know that season with Washington where he had fifty eight points. Mm hmm. Uh, Let's let's stay focused on Minnesota for a minute here because something else did happen um, yesterday that came out in the news and was very surprising. Um, the Minnesota Wild announced that they were not going to renew Miko Koivu's contract, therefore making him a free agent. Um, and he's played his entire 15-season career with the Wild. And um, something that bugged me, Amanda, was... They didn't really do anything for Miko other than a simple graphic just saying thank you. I thought that was kind of lackluster and a bit of a dick move in my opinion because he committed there for 15 seasons. Miko Koivu's seen a lot of shit with that team. I think you can agree with me. Um, I, I just think they could have done more for him. Um, I, I can understand why they're not renewing his contract. They're clearly trying to move forward from their veterancy group Um of guys like Eric Stoll and Miko Koivu and trying to make room for the young guns, like I said, Kirill Kaprizov moving forward. So, you know, does Miko Koivu really continue his NHL career in the Western Conference, or do you see him maybe making that move to the East and just trying out a different market before his, you know, before his career does come to an end? Because he is 37 
and he becomes a, a unrestricted free agent. So really, anybody can grab him if they can get him for the right price. Like where where could someone like Miko end up being? You know what? I'm not 100% sure he's coming back. And the reason I say this is because the comment that he made or the the quote that he uh, is quoted as, sorry, that was a really bad tee up to that, but uh, <laughs> essentially saying that he's not going to rush it. So yeah. he doesn't want to rush any decisions regarding his future. Uh, you know, he said he wanted to discuss things with his family and obviously his older brother, Sakakoivu, who we all know, uh, Montreal Canadians and then opted not to resign. You know, I think they, they want to look at, at all options here because 37 years old, you're, ne- you're nearing the end of your career. Uh, you're certainly not going to get, you know, the big payout. Uh, but, does he fit in a lineup? I, yeah, I, I think so. I As think a veteran, he, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it has to be for the right price. Because if you look at the teams you know, that are likely to go after a guy like Miko Koivu, uh, you're, you're looking at a team that's not going to have a ton of cap space, but wants to fill that leadership and that veteran role. And that's where he comes in. So who does that become? Honestly, until I think more pieces are moved around, I don't know exactly where he fits. And you, and again, you look at his, you know, his contracts over the years, uh, where he's seen his standard contracts, and then the extensions, and then the thirty-five plus contract extension. He got paid five point five million dollars um, for two seasons, so eleven million dollars for two years, five point five in those both in both those years. Koivu is unfortunately not worth that kind of money. Um, you can maybe sign him for a million, maybe a little bit more, but I don't think it exceeds anywhere close to three million or even two million for that matter. And I, I don't know where Miko ends up because, like you mentioned, Saku kind of went through the same thing. Um, de- decided he, but Saku decided not to sign with Montreal. Goes to Anaheim. Um, but could there be another Koivu in Montreal is the question I've been asked a lot. And I'm going to ask you, do you see Miko kind of continuing the Koivu tradition of being in a place like Montreal? Do you see that being a reality? No, not at all. No, I, I, I don't no. either. And I, I want to make that factually clear. I, I respect the hell out of Miko Koivu. I, I just don't think for someone of his age, I don't think he would fit with a lot of teams because it's, Obviously, he's a veteran guy, but again, he is very much on the wrong side of 30. His production has been lackluster, realistically, and I I, I, ju- I just don't think that this is going to work out very well um, for any team unless they get him for the right price. So, realistically, moving forward, uh, and we'll end, we'll end the conversation on this, do you think he returns to Finland, maybe? And just finish it out back but home. You know what? I, I expect to see him. Although I did say I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't come back. I, I would expect to see him next year in a lineup. Uh, but I think you're going to be looking at a one to two year deal max. I think that's kind of just where he's at in his career. And if that's the case and he doesn't get what he's looking for, then yeah, sure, it, it's a possibility. Do you think he signs for league men, or do you think he's oh, worth he's more than league men? More than league men, but uh, I, I don't see a big 
three, three and a half max. It's not going to be a big contract. Let's be be realistic. It's going to be one or two years, like you said, because he's on the wrong side of 30, like way on the wrong side of 30. So I I don't know what happens moving forward, but, you know, if this is the end for Miko Koivu, it's a real shame that he, he, you know, he couldn't get a cup. Um, But wherever he ends up, I think he's going to be a really good depth option for anybody realistically. So, Hopefully, hopefully someone can keep the Koivu yeah. train going. Uh, and another contract signing um, that has happened, and this this is this is an interesting one for me um, because the Penguins have signed Jared McCann to a two year contract uh, to keep him with the Pens, two point nine four million annually. So he's officially off the market. And I mean, for someone like Jared McCann, who has definitely seen a lot. Early in his career, um, you know, he's been with a couple of different teams. He started off in Vancouver, didn't go as expected or didn't go very well. Goes to Florida, has a somewhat decent start with them. But then he comes to Pittsburgh and he starts to really pick up on the number pace. I, I, I just think for Pittsburgh, you know, obviously they had, they've made a lot of interesting moves this summer. And again, you and I have talked about it. Um, do you think signing Jared McCann to this kind of contract is I the do, right actually. move? Actually, I think that this is a really good move for them because it's not a huge cap hit for them, but I think he does play a role within this hockey club and moving forward, they see potential in his game. He improved this season uh, and they feel that there's more to his game than what they've already seen being a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I think it can only get better for him. And I think that this is a really great signing by the Pittsburgh Penguins. And he's still very young too. He's he he's is. only twenty four. He's still got a long way to go. But like, you know, is he kind of just that bottom six rental guy that Pittsburgh is trying to lock up for a cheap amount? Is that what they're trying to pull off he's here? A, a rental guy that you know they're trying to lock up for a cheap amount. I, I do think he plays a role on this hockey club, and you know he he improved this season. Uh, one of the things that I think that he brings to the table as well is that he's looking to learn and he's looking to learn from some of these guys, obviously that have the experience on this hockey club, uh, you know, in the Sidney Crosby and the Evgeny Malkins of the world. But uh, I think that he's a guy that, um, you know, he, he's the type of person that has taken on whatever role has been given to him with the Penguins organization. And he's taken that in stride. And I think that that's something that, that's the type of guy that you want to have in your dressing room moving forward. No, I, I, I totally agree. And I mean, you know, he's still young. He's still learning. Um, I, I just don't know looking back now if he's really a first round pick. I, I think Vancouver wasted a first rounder on someone that probably could have gone second or third round in my opinion. But that's besides the point. Um, I do kind of like the lockup, but again, you know, you bring back Kasperi Kapanen and you give up a lot to bring him back to Pittsburgh. Um, you know, what happens with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin down the road? What happens with your goaltending tandem? What's next for a guy like Chris Latane who gets injured every freaking year? Where does this team go forward? Because honestly, Amanda, I, I know you're <laughs> a Pittsburgh fan, but I, I can't help but feel like the window is officially closed on the Penguins for trying to get back to a Stanley Cup. Um, I that that's just my that's just well, my let's opinion. Let's have a look at the Dallas Stars of this season. 
um true i guess you never know what can happen in a year but i there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle in pittsburgh that need to be figured out before puck drops next season because uh at the end of the day we know for sure there's going to be a goaltender move that's without question we expect to see something happen there does chris letang get moved i hope not um but i it wouldn't shock me if he does get moved yeah me neither considering he gets injured every year it's i'm sorry but he's it's not that he's intentionally not living up to the contract that he's being paid but you're getting hurt almost every season like how are you supposed to live up to that contract if you can't stay healthy for more than half the season like i'm i'm, well, I'm sorry that's just the way it is by injuries there's no question and and when you have it's you a know, shame your, your top demon consistently out night in night out um you know, with a variety of different injuries, uh, you know, there's certainly an expectation that comes with a price tag like that. And when you are not able to stay healthy and stay within the lineup, then then questions get asked. And, you know, does it make sense for them to move a guy like him? Potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move to the next topic. Uh, kind of going back to almost the uh, to the Blues topic that we talked about. Um, I mentioned that Bill Armstrong has now moved on from the St. Louis Blues. He is now actually the new general manager of the Arizona Coyotes, and this didn't really surprise a lot of people um, because it is it was reported like what a week ago that Armstrong would be going to Arizona. It's now made official. Five-year contract. They're going to pay him a million dollars a season, which is interesting uh, that they're only paying <laughs> that that they're only paying him a million per season. Is it just me, or does that feel kind of cheap? Uh that's pretty low. <laughs> um, it's very low considering what other general managers make. Yeah. That's very low. Especially a guy like Bill Armstrong. I, I'm sorry, but that's that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, that one's a bit interesting. I didn't actually see that part about it. But uh, I think that the move for Arizona 100% makes sense. They're bringing in somebody that has a wealth of knowledge and experience within the game. And I think that Arizona needs that at this point. Mm-hmm. They, they need someone like Bill Armstrong because he really helped with that Blues team turn around and become the Stanley Cup champions back in yeah. 2018. He was he was that guy that made this or pardon me 2019 I'm getting my years mixed up. Um but he was he was the guy that really helped in the front office to help make that group in St. Louis and turn them into champions for the first time. So this could work out very well for the Coyotes, but with with the mess that's been their front office, again, we talked about the John Chaka situation, which is still being talked about, and then the Coyotes, you know, losing draft picks because they were illegally scouting uh, young prospects uh, doing their own combine, which is against NHL rules, so they lost draft picks as a result of it, so... Things aren't looking very good for Arizona, at least at this point right now. But hopefully bringing in a guy like Bill Armstrong is actually going to take the focus away from that. And hopefully moving forward, this does make the Coyotes a better team moving forward. When you have a guy like Armstrong that has experience both within, you know, the, the office and also behind the bench, that makes a huge difference, right, for a hockey club because... 
you have experience in, in how to talk to multiple levels of people. So, cause when you're dealing with, you know, your, your core group of, uh, within that office, you need to be able to communicate in a certain way. And then when you're behind the bench and talking to players and, you know, working on deals and, and doing this kind of thing, I think everything just lines up really, really well for Arizona with this. And I think for Armstrong, um, it makes a lot of sense for him to, to take on this role. You know, he's, he's been the assistant general manager uh, in the blues organization. And I think that the next leap was for sure to, to be the GM. Yeah. Um, do you think Bill Armstrong is going to play a key role and can be able to get Taylor Hall to re-sign with Arizona? Do you see that being an actual reality? Um, oh, that's a good question. It's not going to be easy. I'll say that. It's not going to be easy. Like, you really got to convince Taylor Hall to stay in a place like Arizona, especially if you have no fans moving forward. I think forward. that a lot of it comes down to not only the ownership group with within the Coyotes, but now that you have Armstrong coming into play, um, Gutierrez is the president and CEO. Uh, they're making changes within the office that, you know, it cultivates that um, winning culture that they want and that they want to go after. And the ownership seems committed to that. So does it help? Paul resign? I don't know. I, you know, at the end of the day, probably not. That's not going to be the the big piece. But I, I don't think that it hurts them in any way. That's for sure. Yeah. Um. One move that the Coyotes did make, and we'll just talk briefly about this, was they have officially locked up Aiden Hill for one more season uh, on a one way deal. And I mean, Hill didn't have the greatest season last year. But he was still a decent backup option. So do you like the signing by Arizona? I, you know what? He's a decent backup option. I think that that's the best way to put it. Yeah. And, but but I, don't, I don't know what happens next year for Arizona because a lot of people are telling the Coyotes to get rid of Darcy Kemper, which why would you get rid of Kemper so soon? It, it wasn't really his fault that the Coyotes crapped the bed, but, you know, you do yeah. whatever. Um, l- let's get to a really big focal point that's being talked about during the playoffs right now, and that is the starting point of next season. Now, with how well everything's been going in the bubble and how much sooner it's potentially going to end, they've actually um, moved the draft from Thanksgiving weekend uh, a week earlier, so the draft is going to be happening a little bit sooner. Uh, I believe the free agency will be taking place at the same original date they touted, but now, Amanda, it looks like the season may not be getting started until later December or even until January of next year. But again, Bettman said this on national television. There's no definitive decisions or plans just yet. Nothing set in stone. It's the same thing with the OHL. Same thing with the Canadian Hockey League. It's the same thing with every league at this point. We don't have an official um or definitive start date. It's not set in stone. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. And people are kind of losing their minds about this. And I want us to kind of bring them down to earth. A season is still going to happen. Let's be realistic. There's still going to be a season happening. If it slips to late December or January, I think it's for the best. I really think it's for the best because you can't have these guys, you know, start right away as soon as the, as soon as your playoffs ended. This, this isn't major league baseball. 
they they have to take time. You know, the free agents need time to actually shop the market. And these players went through a lot of stress these last few months. They need a couple months off. So I'm perfectly okay if this gets pushed to late December or January. But we're, but do you see this being the right move for the NHL if they push their start well, date back? one of the things that we, we heard right from the get-go from Batman was that that December 1st target date was basically a soft target. It was nothing was ever set in yeah. stone. Uh, they had the ability to move it back if they felt like it was going to be necessary. And, you know, we can sit here and talk about this particular topic for hours, honestly, and go back and forth about what we think is best and what we, you know, what should happen, what shouldn't happen. But the reality is, is that from now until even if we were looking at a December 1st start date, there is so much that could happen between now and December 1st because everything is so completely up in the air at this point. You know, at at this point, as we're recording, obviously the uh, border remains closed, uh, There's which becomes a logistical thing. Then we're talking about our fans going to be able to be in the arena. You know, Bettman has said how they start the season is not necessarily how they're going to finish the season. So does that mean that teams are starting without anybody in their arenas? Does that mean that people are, some people are allowed in, you can have socially distanced, you know, groups within the arena. Who knows what that looks like, right? Uh, At the end of the day, the goal is that they're going to have an 82 game season, full playoffs, and they want to try and stay out of the summer months as much as possible. To be completely honest, I absolutely love watching hockey that matters during the summer. It's exciting, but Mm -hmm. uh, is that realistic moving forward? Obviously not. It's going to take probably a couple years for everything to kind of get back to how it would normally be to allow that same type of off season for players because you're not going to be able to cram 82 games in from January until April and then start playoffs in April like we typically would see. So mm-hmm. no matter what, this coming season is going to be extended into the summer months if they're able to get going. And then, you know, even coming into that 2021-2022 season, is it realistic to then turn around that quickly and start, you know, in September for training camps? Probably not. So there's a lot of the NHL needs to come up, which I'm sure they have at this point, a long-term plan on how to recoup from having to adjust the schedule to, you know, accommodate obviously COVID. And, you know, we're seeing firsthand here in Canada and without question in the United States that cases are on the rise. Things are changing. Everything is ever changing. So, to speculate whether or not the season gets going in December or whether it gets going in January, I have no idea at this point because I think at the end of the day, nobody has any idea. <laughs> well, well, you brought up the two points that I wanted to talk about. Let's talk about the first one. Um, Bettman said something, pr- speculated something pretty rare. He said that it is possible that next season is going to start without fans, but they're going to transition to some fans in the ranks if things do get better uh at the end of the day do you see there actually being fans in the stands whether it's at the start midway or towards the end to start no absolutely not no obviously Um, not midway it depends on how people react to further restrictions because you know just in ontario we've seen in the last 24 hours restrictions on gatherings so put back it depends exactly. if there's a bubble, right? Or if they actually play For in their sure. own buildings. And, and that all plays into 
do they get in an 82 game season? So I think it, it depends who that gets absolutely. into the rink, right? Like who's allowed yeah, into absolutely. the rink. And you know, if, if they're going to continue to have to do testing on the basis that they've been doing right now within the bubble as it stands, and that needs to continue when they start back up again in December, January, whenever that date is, well, that now you've got even obviously further restrictions as to what's going to happen and how it's going to look. And, you know, logistically to just house these players within these bubbles, you know, you need just for, I think it was like 750 hotel rooms in, uh, in Edmonton, in Toronto, uh, the hotels need to be on board with basically shutting down and to the public for that period of time. Like, it's not just let's create a bubble and let's get teams here. Everything is extremely well organized. It has to be because in order to be able to maintain their zero positive tests and make sure that everybody within that bubble is you know, respecting obviously the rules and, and regulations that they've set forth in order to be able to to see a Stanley Cup, uh, you know, championship happen at this point. Um, yeah, it's hard to say, right? Because there's just, I don't know. I, I can't see fans being in place until at least mid to late season next year. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, obviously NHL teams, you know, they're saying that, 50% of um, the money comes from obviously fans being in seats, uh, if, you know, for hockey mm -hmm. clubs. So 50% to make up 50% of your revenue, that's pretty tough. Um, thankfully yeah. the NHL, you know, obviously you've got your merch, you've got your, um, your concessions, you've got your corporate, corporate sponsors, sponsors you've, you know, you've got it all right. The TV sponsors, led yeah. packages, it, it goes on and on. So th it's not that it's a one stream revenue. Whereas when you're dealing with the OHL, we talked a little bit about this yesterday, the fan base and people being in the seats is what pays, you know, in those smaller market teams. Uh, obviously, you know, we've both been to games in Mississauga where, nobody and yet the team is doing well financially because they have the you know the big sponsorships but uh yeah. you know a, a team like we'll use Sudbury Wolves as an example they rely on people being mm. in those seats because your sponsorship yep, packages absolutely. that you're getting with the team are are not very big they're not paying for very much so uh, yeah. you know when you're dealing with the NHL obviously at a different level so um but still, 50% revenue stream, that's a lot to make up. Yeah. Um, next question I'll ask you, do you actually see the NHL squeezing in an 82-game schedule? I do, but they need to be realistic about when it's going to be played. Um, you know, yeah. Batman talking. There's no all-star break. There's no way in hell there's an all-star break. You can't afford an well, all-star break. I think with Bettman's comment about we want to get out of the summer months as much as possible uh, and avoid playing, you know, in July and August, uh, typically we see a Stanley Cup happen usually anywhere from the second to third week of June, just depending on how the playoffs have gone. And then uh, you've got your NHL awards at the end of June and then that's it. And free agency starts July yep. 1st and we go from there. I don't know. I don't know how the NHL is going to squeeze in 82 games and stay out of the it's, summer. I, I just, I, I'm sorry. I don't I, see I it. Think, 
it's going to no, take you can't. a couple years, in my opinion, to adjust to getting back to a October start date, puck drop on a regular season, finish in April, uh, and start your playoffs. It's the same thing with the Ontario Hockey League. They're trying to squeeze in an almost full schedule. They only took away two games, and they're trying to avoid the summer. I don't see it. I I don't know what they're what why they think that this is going to be okay moving forward. I I want to see hockey, but if they're saying they don't want to go into the summer months, but they're planning to play a full eighty-two game season, I'm sorry, well, but we, no. We talked about this like, good luck with that. About an OHL season, if we continue to see the numbers increase, you know, teams are expecting to have training camps kind of open up mid-November for that December start date. Well, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So. Things are going to most likely, as things continue to change, and that's the thing with this, is that it's very hard to put plans in place. You can have an overall plan, but at the end of the day, control is not, uh, we can't control what's going on. So it's, yeah. No. I mean, we can control the COVID outbreak, but we can't control what these mega millionaires are doing with their business because this, this is a business. So, I, I I know Batman made his plan pretty obvious, but nothing is set in stone and literally anything and everything will change. It, it's I, I see the season starting maybe late December or January because and, and we'll talk about the World Juniors next uh, because we know that's going to happen. But just I, I don't there's not going to be an all star game. You can't have an all star game without the fans. And I just thoroughly do not enjoy the all star game to begin with. It's it's really not been good for the last few years. Um, you know, if there were an Olympics, there would be no Olympic break either. Um, I, I just think you probably see these guys doing what the NBA does and have them play on Christmas. I, I'm sorry, but that that's probably what's going to happen. These guys would have to play. On Christmas, on Boxing Day, on on New Year's, like they do most of the time, they they would have to play on major holidays, and have to try and squeeze in an eighty two game schedule. I just don't see this eighty two game schedule happening and not being in the summer. I'm sorry, it just seems unrealistic. I in think my it opinion. is unrealistic to to squeeze in eighty two games and not be into the summer. And I think that the as much as Batman is saying, you know, our, our preferences do not play during the summer months. The reality is, is that coming into what is going to be next season, they're not going to have a choice unless if you've got teams that aren't getting that, you know, four or five day breaks between games at times. Uh, just so do they shorten up that a little bit? You know, when you're allotting for travel time and, and all of this, everything could change because if the teams end up being in a bubble situation, well, then that puts a whole different perspective on things as well. Yeah. I I don't know where the NHL is going forward with this, but I, I, I just hope it, that they they know what they're getting into for next season. I, I think they do. Batman's a very smart businessman. I'll give him that. But just I, I don't think you can fit in an 82-game season. It's it's just not realistic and try to avoid the summer season because if you keep trying to fit in an 82-game season, you're not going to get back to that norm within two, three years of starting in October and crowning a Stanley Cup champion in June or, you know, like late May. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. And, and we'll move on from this topic because we do have a couple more things to talk about, but... 
I, I just think this plan moving forward, if they even have a plan right now, is just not realistic. So hopefully they do, you know, come together and are able to figure out some stuff down the road. Um, let's talk about the World Juniors. I forgot to mention this uh, before we started recording, but the World Juniors are going to go forward, which I was very pleasantly surprised to hear about. We know the World Junior A Challenge has been canceled for the Canadian Junior uh, Hockey League, but the World Juniors are going to go through, and they're actually going to be in the Edmonton bubble, not just for this upcoming season, but the following year as well. Uh, Sweden, I can't remember the host nation. I think it was... I don't even want to say it because I'll probably be wrong. It's going to be happening in, I believe, two, three years from now in Sweden. So it's going to stay in Canada in Edmonton, which I personally think is a great idea because Edmonton's been fantastic. Um, but we're going to have World Junior Hockey. Do do you agree with this happening, even without fans in attendance? I, I'm shocked that they're actually going to go through with it this year based on how they've canceled a whole bunch of other um, things within Hockey Canada. Uh, I was really surprised, to be completely honest. I As love I. that they are doing this, though, because quite honestly, for me, I, Boxing Day is pretty much, you know, what we look forward to in our house. Uh, I, yep. growing up watching World Juniors, like, I can remember getting up at you know, three o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning to, to catch team Canada playing when they were playing overseas. And, uh, cause I refused to watch the game. <laughs> I recorded, I'm like, I am getting up, I am watching. And, you know, you'd be back falling asleep at nine o'clock in your bed. Cause you're exhausted in the morning, but no, I world juniors for me is, um, pretty much the most exciting time of Christmas. So, uh, I, I'm very happy that this is happening. I'm I'm happy that they were able to come to, obviously, an agreement where they're having it held in Alberta uh, this year and next year in order for it to be able to return uh, to Edmonton and Red Deer in December of 2021 um, and being able to work with the host team for uh, what was originally supposed to be the 2022, or I guess 2020. It's so confusing. 2022. It, it would have been 2000. It would have been 2022. Right. Yeah. So to be able to work with them and, and be able to take, um, you know, everything into consideration and essentially move everything back. Huge move by hockey Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a couple more questions. I want to ask about this topic. The first one I'll ask if the NHL has a bubble situation and Edmonton is named a bubble. What does, does the world juniors interfere with the NHL's plans moving forward next season? Uh, that's actually a really good question because if they do go into a bubble situation, um, based on what we saw this year, uh, being with the border situation and everything else going on uh, and the cases that are in the States, does it make sense then that you would have then bubble cities within Canada again for next season? Yeah, it does for sure. Uh, does that play a role in deciding when the NHL season happens? It very well could. Yeah, it very yeah. well could. Because what we've seen so and- far from these bubble situations is that Toronto and Edmonton proved to be very, very successful for the NHL. Very. It was yeah. great. And I think it could work very well for um, for IHF, but... 
again, if the NHL goes through with a, a bubble protocol for next year, this is really going to affect the World Juniors and the NHL season moving forward. So I I, I don't know what's going to happen because we're so far out from now. But it, I'm glad the World Juniors are still going to happen. But, you know, does something change if the NHL says, we're going to play in a bubble, you guys yeah. can't come here? What yeah. happens then? It's definitely something to explore at that point. But I think, obviously, those kinds of details have already been worked out because we wouldn't have seen an announcement like we have uh, that it's going to be for sure held in Edmonton for for this year. Um, I think that that would have been something that would have been potentially held off for a little while. But I, I would say that those yeah. decisions have been made. And final question I'll ask you about world the World Junior topic. Uh, does the tournament lose some of its magic without fans 100%. being in attendance? And <laughs> do you think do you think it'll be the same uh, though? I think the experience for people watching at home will be very similar because uh, whether the fans are there or not, especially when you're playing overseas and you don't maybe have that strong contingency of of Canadian fans, although they seem to come out of the woodwork and are everywhere, uh, even when we're playing overseas. But I think that um, it's definitely going to have a different feel because there's nothing quite like watching a hockey game, especially because it's being held in Canada. Uh, and to, you know, the that feeling that you get watching a game or the chills that you get when, oh, Canada comes on after they've won and, you know, the, the Canadian national anthem is playing. It's to not have fans in the stands singing along. But you know what? One of the things that we've seen from this is that whether there are fans in the stands or not, teams are, or there's creative ways that uh, the TV world has been able to basically uh, come up with a way for it to look like there are fans in, in the stands, whether it's, you know, we've seen it with baseball where they've got cutouts. We've seen it with the NBA where it was, um, you know, live streaming of people watching from their homes. So do they opt to maybe go that way to kind of help with the experience for those that are watching at home without fans in the stands? Who knows? Do you, do you think they'll tarp the seats off like the NHL did? Just make it as simple oh, yeah, as possible? Oh, yeah, definitely. I definitely see that happening. Do you think they have the same setup with the NHL does, or do you think they're going to keep it simplistic or do anything uh, at I all? I would say that it would probably be very close to the, or if not exactly what the NHL has done, just because it has worked so well. Yeah. Um, and I promise this is the last question about it, but what does that mean um, you know, for the different groups, like if they're going to play in Edmonton, how do they stretch out this tournament? Because, you know, they initially were supposed to be in Red Deer and Edmonton, but that's not the case anymore. How do you squeeze in both those groups to make this tournament last as, as shortly as it's supposed to? Like, do they stretch this tournament even further? Uh, that's actually a really good question, because if you think about it, uh, with at the end of the day, we've, we've seen multiple venues in the past when it comes to world juniors um just because of the round robin games once you get into the medal rounds you're fine but uh just to be able to get in those round robin games from the get-go with the number of teams that are there you're definitely going to be looking at probably three games a day in one arena which which is a lot right so um yeah expect some kind of interesting i think 
time slots for games. I mean, if the NHL can get away with it, I, I'm pretty sure the IIHF can get away yeah, with no, it, right? Absolutely. Uh, moving on to the next topic. Um, something that completely kind of flown under the radar for me. I, I completely forgot about it until just now. But the Leafs have a new member of their coaching staff. It's Manny Maholtra that'll be joining the Maple Leafs as their new assistant coach. Of course, replacing the recently departed Paul McFarland, who's now going to be with the Kingston Frontenacs. Um, Amanda, you and I obviously do remember Manny Maholtra being a great player in the NHL, especially with Vancouver. He he was on their bench for, I believe, a couple of years. He was there in the bubble this year, but is now going over to Toronto. What kind of change does this bring to the Leafs bench moving forward to join Sheldon Keyes? Well, you know, remember that Maholtra is from Mississauga, so it's a kind of a homecoming That's for true. him, right? And uh, it, it's an interesting move. For sure. But I think that he definitely brings something to this hockey club. And, you know, at this point, I think the Leafs need whatever they can spark in order to have a a good season next year. Absolutely. Um, And I mean, for the Leafs, obviously, they're trying to look for a new assistant since McFarlane left. Um, Do you think Maholtra was probably the best candidate? Because in my opinion, he probably was, but I still didn't see him leaving Vancouver as soon as I didn't realize that he was really on the radar for Toronto, uh, but definitely, I think, a great move by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I love this move. Uh, I think Dubas, again, with another great move to bring in someone experienced and who has been in the NHL as long as he has, I think that's really important for a young Leafs core going forward. So I think this is another great move by Dubas. Uh, I haven't seen any negative comments about Bernie Maholtra because he just seems like a genuine guy, and he's that kind of guy that this young Leafs core would love for to sure. have on their bench. Um, now, tomorrow, of course, you and I will be live-streaming our reactions for Game 2 of the Stanley Cup Final, uh, and we'll talk about the Stanley Cup Final in just a moment. But before that will be the NHL Awards Uh I, I think we're going to do a small stream for that. If not, we'll talk uh, in our pregame before the game starts. Uh, but there's five categories that have not been revealed yet, which will be revealed tomorrow night. That's the Calder, the Hart, James Doris, Ted Lindsay, and the Vesna. Now, there, of course, have been some uh, winners that have been announced already. Of course, we talked about Leon Settle, Bobby Ryan won the Bill Masterton. We actually forgot to talk about... Uh, Sean Couturier won the Frank J. Selkie. Bruce Cassidy won the Jack Adams Award, which I, I don't necessarily know if I agree with, but whatever. Uh, Lou Lamorello wins the GM of the Year Award. I think this is a great choice. Uh, I thought Uncle Lou was working his magic, and look at how close the Islanders came to making the final. Uh, like that That's an amazing run for Lou Lamorello. And I mean, the old man has he, still got he it. still got it. <laughs> He still got it. It's it's honestly hard to believe. Matt Dumba won the King Clancy Award. I think that's the perfect choice. If anyone excels leadership and change in hockey, it's Matt Dumba for his Hockey Diversity Alliance movement. Uh, there's no other choice for me, in my opinion. Is there another choice no, in I your think mind? No, I the right person won this award. Absolutely. Uh, McKinnon won the Lady Bane. Mark Messier Award went to Mark Giordano. No surprise on that front, really. Uh, Rocket Richard is actually shared between Ovechkin and Pasternak. The William and Jennings is also being shared between Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak. And uh, the William Re Community Hero Award went to Dampy Brar. Now, 
let's quickly talk about the five uh, candidates or the five trophies and their respective candidates. Of course, the Calder, just to run people through it again, Quinn Hughes, Dominic Kubelik, and Kale McCarr. You and I, Amanda, pretty much already talked about who's probably going to win it. We'll talk a little bit more about tomorrow if we do live stream during the awards show, but who is your lockdown for the rookie of the year? I don't remember who I picked the first time we talked about this. Do you? <laughs> well, I think you and I agreed as great as it would be, as great as it would be to see Kubali win it. I just don't think this is this is not a three horse race. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's re- I really think it's going to be Cal McCarr. I can't help but feel like it's going to be McCarr. Like, with, with what he accomplished this season, I I mean, Hughes might win it too, but Cal McCarr, man, he's the future of that team defensively. That that That's just my take on the whole thing. Um, I, w- I, I who, think who, Hughes wins this one. I, I respect that. I, I'd be happy with either or. I just think with Cal McCarr and how he came in in the middle of the playoffs last year and scored in his first game, that just showed me right away how much of a leader this guy's going to be on the defensive line. Like, no, is that a fair statement? I definitely think that's a fair statement. There's no question that he was outstanding this season for the Colorado Avalanche. And so, as yeah. was Quinn Hughes yeah. for Vancouver. I thought I wasn't expecting Vancouver to get this far, man. I, I really wasn't. And, and you I know think what? that's a testament to full, the full credit to to them. lineup, right? Because... Nobody thought that Vancouver was going to be in a position where they were this season, but these guys within that room believed in, in their abilities and believed that they could, as a team, get to this point. Uh, and I think that Vancouver in the coming years is going to be a team that is going to be on everyone's radar. They they should have gotten bounced in four games, but then in comes, in comes Satcher-Damco and almost steals the series for Vancouver up until Game 7. So, I mean... That young core moving forward for Vancouver. Oh, yeah. boy, look out. Uh, getting to the heart, Leon Drysaddle, Nathan McKinnon, Artemi Panarin. Again, for me, this is a two-horse race. I think Panarin, you know, he should be in the conversation, but I don't think he's going to win it. I personally think the heart should go to Leon Drysaddle. should go to Nathan McKinnon. Again, yes. you and I disagreeing. I, 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 don't get me wrong. Either one of them I'm happy with. I just think for Leon Drysaddle... To step out of the Connor McDavid spotlight and be the true leader this year in terms of points, I think that makes him a real MVP in this league. But then again, Nathan McKinnon was an absolute stud this year. On an already stacked Colorado team, again, I could see either or winning this. But I I can't help but feel like for Dreisler to be the first German to ever win the Art Ross, I think he's going to take home the heart as well. That's just my honest okay. opinion on it. Well, we'll see tomorrow. <laughs> we will see tomorrow. Um, the James Norris. This one for me could go either way. It could be John Carlson. It could be Victor Hedman or Roman Yossi. Um, obviously, the playoffs do not play a factor. I, I, I think that the award might go... To Victor Hedman. I think Victor Hedman is honestly this award. I I don't get me wrong, Carlson had a great season, but I just think Victor Hedman has been a defensive staple in this league for a long time. And, and I think Hedman's time has finally come to have that Norris go into his cabinet. Yeah. So I, I'm glad you and I agree on that. Um 
I would be I'd be shocked if Yossi somehow wins this. I, I'm don't get me wrong, Roman Yossi's a great defenseman. I just don't see him winning this. I, again, it's a two horse race yeah, in my no, opinion. I, I agree. Now the Ted Lindsay Award is is the seat candidates as the Hart Trophy. Um, it, this is hard too. You know what? I would give the heart to Drysaddle, and I would give the Lindsay to Nathan McKinnon. I, I I don't think it's going to be the same guy that wins the same awards. I I, I think Drysaddle will be named the MVP, and I think McKinnon's going to get the Ted well, Lindsay. And, you know, when we talk about the Ted Lindsay, the thing with this is is that this is judged by members of the Professional Hockey Writers Association. So if we think about that and take that into consideration. <sighs> Panarin could win this actually because he broke out in in New York and this year. I, I I still have to think that McKinnon ends up with the Lindsay as well. I I that I personally think McKinnon will as well. Um, again, I just think Drysaddle was the MVP this year, but McKinnon was probably the most impressive player among the board, and especially, you know, for me watching him play is just phenomenal <laughs> honestly watching McKinnon is just fantastic so again this could the Ted Lindsay could go either way I don't think this is a two horse race I think literally any one of these candidates are deserving of the Absolutely. award and then of course the last one that hasn't been named yet is the Vesna. now this one is really up for debate uh, it's between Connor Hellebuck Tuka Rask and Andre Vasilevsky for me I think Hellebuck was good. I just don't think he was good enough to win the Vesna. Vasilevsky, obviously he's reached farther than the Bruins did uh, in terms of playoffs, but the playoffs do not matter for any of these awards. Um, for me, I feel like, you know, with what Rask had in front of him and for this team to still be super scary considering they lost in the final the previous year, I can't help but feel like Rask is the front runner for this oh, this uh, this Vesna trophy. Tuka Rask is the front runner for this Vesna trophy, and how can he with not the be? The season that he had, you know, two point one two goals against average, nine twenty nine save percentage. Uh, Insanity. You know, yes, they only got forty one games in, or he played forty one games. Sorry, he played forty one games, but a winning record of twenty six and eight. That's that's ridiculous. Yeah, I, this to me, uh, Tukarask's name was engraved on this trophy well before <laughs> I think even the finalists were announced. I mean, Vasilevsky should definitely be in the conversation for it, but I just think what Tukarask did this season was was kind of the year that a lot of people were looking to for Tukarask, and, and I think Rask exceeded expectations at this point of the year because. You know, they lost to the Blues in the Cup Final. Everyone thought they were going to rebuild and go right back to the start of the drawing board. But they're right back. They were right back to being uh, contenders until they ran into a really hot Tampa Bay squad. And before Tuca decided to leave the bubble for personal reasons. But because of regular season achievements alone, I can't help but feel like Tuca Rask is the frontrunner for this award. No, I agree. So we'll find out who is going to take home some hardware tomorrow night. Uh, we'll let everyone know if we're in fact going to live stream the actual award reactions or if we'll talk about them during pregame. But we'll let you know more on our Twitter page. Make sure you follow us at Pod for more information. Last topic we'll talk about before we get to the uh, conference finals and game one of the 
uh, Cup Final from last night, the Ottawa Senators have decided that they are going to introduce new jerseys and have already introduced their new primary logo. And Amanda, I couldn't help but cry tears of joy when I saw this logo. They're going back to that beautiful 2D logo. It's a modified version of it, but I still personally think it looks fantastic. And I am so glad they went back to this look. I think, yeah, for me, when they had changed that Sens logo, I'm not a big fan of it. And obviously... Growing it was ugly. It was ugly. Having season tickets in Ottawa, like we we went to a lot of games, and for sure we were Sens fans, and uh, except for when Pittsburgh was in town, um, <laughs> <laughs> then I became that person. <laughs> uh-huh. But uh, no, I, I think for for Ottawa, this is a great move for them. Yeah, uh, and we we still don't know what the jerseys look like. They'll be unveiled during the draft on October sixth. But, I mean, there's a lot of mock-ups up there, Amanda. I'm sure you've seen the mock-ups of these. Um, and I, I think they could do a lot with this jersey. I think they're going to go back to the old style they had when they first came into the league. The black jersey with the red stripe. And then that classic white look that Danny Alfredson yeah. made famous. Like, I can't help but feel that's what the jersey is going to look like. I don't see how they can screw this up. You can't screw up this look. Because if you do, you're going to look freaking stupid. Because you already brought back a classic and quite nostalgic logo. If you don't bring back those nostalgic jerseys with your own modified mm-hmm. twist on it, I just think you blow... I, I just think you take away all credibility that you could have possibly had out of this. I, I think they need to go back to a modified version of their classic yeah. look. No, exactly. Um, now, staying on the Ottawa Senators topic, um, they are not apparently going to name a captain next season, according to their to head coach DJ Smith. Are you kind of surprised that they're not possibly going to have a captain no. next year? <laughs> No. Me neither. Like, like really, who who on this team is yeah, going to lead no. this group? B- Borvietsky? He's I, not coming back. But you don't have Carlson anymore. Who Who's no. going to lead this team? You know what? Uh, I think that that's actually probably a better choice for this club because in, in a way, it forces the team to really dig deep. And you're going to find a leader in that hockey club. And you're going to find a leader in that room. But yeah. it may not be who I think a lot of people – would think it would be. I think it's going to be somebody that uh, has played a bit of a side role. I think that'll end up emerging as the real leader within that room. Well, I, I mean, the article in NHL says that the plan is to give Kachuk and Shabbat time to grow into the leadership roles. Which one of them could be the captain down the road? I mean, either or would be a great decision, I think either, correct? Either or would be a great decision, but I think both of them have a lot of growing up to do and, and maturing within the NHL and and within that hockey organization itself. Yeah, I, I'm in complete agreement with you. But I mean, I don't think they're going to have another captain, you know, like Daniel Alfredson or Eric Carlson for that matter. You're really not going to see anyone like that um, ever again. And but, but I mean, Ottawa won that trade when they shipped out Carlson to San Jose. It, am I correct? No, I think that that's a very fair statement. Because, I mean, they they have a top three pick now and they have two picks in the first round in the top five. I'm sorry, their their future looks a lot better than San Jose, yeah. in my opinion. And, I mean, they don't really need a captain no, right don't. now. This team is still rebuilding. They don't need yeah, a captain. They do not. 
So I, I, I don't know what's going to happen down the road. They don't need a captain right away. It was the same thing with the Leafs. You know, they, they didn't have a captain for the longest time. And then next thing you know, Tavares is the captain, I think, the year after he signed with the Leafs, two years or whatever. Um, but I, I, I don't think the Sens need a captain. I think this kind of takes away the focus from their big reveal that's going to come up at the draft. And again, I just can't wait to see these jerseys, man. I might have to be first in line to get one of those, depending what they look like. But let's get to the reason why we're here, Amanda. We're now in the Stanley Cup final. And again, like you and I said on the live stream last night, it's hard to believe we are actually got here. Given the circumstances, I'm shocked that we're here. But here we are. We're in the Cup final. We're finally going to see the Stanley Cup handed out, even though some people believe that this is a meaningless a meaningless playoffs. It's not. It's not like they're handing out a participation trophy. They're handing out the actual freaking exactly. Stanley Cup. Like, this is the real deal. And we're actually at this point with no positive tests, no BS, no drama, nothing. I, I take back everything I said about the NHL moving forward with this. They knocked it out of the park. They yeah. really did. Now, obviously, we, we didn't record an episode last week. Um... I was feeling a bit under the weather. You were traveling, so we decided to push it and then just not do it. And hopefully the live streaming makes up for it. But let's talk a little bit about the conference finals before we talk about game one from last night. Now, let's actually start in the Western Conference. I want to start here because the Dallas Stars exceeded any expectation I had for the moving forward. I thought this was going to be an absolute cakewalk for Vegas. And As did I. <laughs> Vegas blew it. Vegas yeah, they, freaking they blew did. it. They blew it. Uh, definitely not. There, there's no other way to put definitely it. Definitely not what I expected from Vegas. Um, not what I expected from Dallas. We both picked the Knights. You had picked them in six. I had picked them in five. Um, but it was interesting because game one, when Dallas won, I, I thought to myself, I'm like, oh boy, here we go. It's, it's starting. Yeah, I'm like, oh, maybe I made the wrong choice, and and it was, it was, it was the beginning of the end for for Vegas, uh, and I think that you know, Dallas has fought their way to get here. Uh, it has not been oh, absolutely for them in any way, shape, or form. They Abs- earned the right to absolutely. play for the cup. Whereas Tampa, as much as it's been a bit of an easier road for them other than obviously they've been dealing with some injury issues, but who hasn't at this time of the year? Uh, Exactly. Yeah. I definitely feel like Dallas has without question earned their spot in the finals. Uh, Not to say that Tampa has not, but I I do think that the road that they traveled to get to this point are very different for both teams. Do you think Vegas was in over their heads with what was happening on and off the ice? Because we've we seen the articles about all the chirping that was happening on the ice towards the Dallas Stars. Of course, the drama of Marc-Andre Fleury's agent. Do you think Vegas was in over their head and they got their swift kick in the ass? I don't think that they were in over their head because the reality is, is as much as the media can portray things in a certain light and and light a fire where there's you know merely ashes burning um i think that players have an ability to kind of turn that off uh and focus on what needs to be focused on but at the same time when there's so much attention to the off ice stuff that's happening that 
Vegas should have taken a better control over that from a management perspective, I feel, as to, you know, talking about contract talks and who's going to get locked up. What are they going to do with Flurry? Who's going to be the number one? Like, that kind of stuff. Vegas is in trouble. shouldn't have happened in that light at this point in the season. I'm not saying that that was like the the nail in the coffin for them, but I, I do feel like that should have been handled in a much different way. Absolutely. It, it took focus away from what was actually, you know, happening on the ice. Yeah. Like this team, I I had them going to the final. I really thought they were going to the final. I, I, I know you don't think they were in over their heads, but I personally think they were. The way they were chirping and taking the focus, taking themselves out of the game, led up to their ultimate demise. You look at game number five. They were up 2-0, they start chirping, they sound like idiots, and then Dallas embarrasses them and wins it in overtime. You can't tell me that this team was not being humble and was not in over yeah. their heads. Like, this this team played totally different in this series than any other series that they have played this year. I mean, they nearly got knocked out by Vancouver, but I think with that series, it's shown that Vegas re- finally ran out of gas. Like they really ran yeah, out of I gas. Think that that series took a lot out of Vegas, uh, without question, because Vancouver, man, did they ever stretch that one out? Because, like we talked about earlier, nobody expected Vancouver to perform to this level at this point, or Thatcher Demko, yeah. for that matter. I, I don't. I, I'm. I'm not saying I'm surprised to see Vegas out, but considering what, considering. That in this series, they were, you know, being cocky and just focusing more on chirping than their actual play. Mind you, this series was relatively close. Like, every game was relatively close. But Vegas still fell short. And they just did not perform like they were supposed to. And that's why this understar da- uh, or understar, underdog s- star team is in the final. And like you said... They probably had the toughest journey out of any other team, and it looks like they made it mm-hmm. look easy. And that's what, and Dallas has earned their right to play for the cup. And after last night's game, hell, Amanda, they might actually win the goddamn thing. Well, I told you I picked Dallas, so we talked about this yesterday. And uh... <laughs> don't rub it in, okay? I, I, don't rub it in. I'm doing it yeah. for differences, okay? <laughs> I want there to be a decisive winner when this is all said and done. If you win it, totally fine by me. I, I, I just think Dallas could very well do this. And we'll talk about game one in just a moment. But now we need to talk about the other side of the table going into the final. This series didn't look close after game one. It looked like it was going to be an absolute cakewalk for Tampa Bay. The Islanders made it really interesting. But at the end of the day, Tampa still ends up winning this series I'm honestly not surprised that Tampa won this series. Are I you? No, not at all. Yeah, me neither. But I mean, after game one, I immediately after game one, when they went up like 5-2, I'm like, no way the Islanders are going to win this series. Like, they, they were just not playing like they were playing throughout the rest of the playoffs. It, it was an absolute mess. It was a mess. Yeah, like that. The game one was a disaster. Like that's probably the worst game I have ever seen them play this year. Well, and you, like we, do we not both pick Tampa? We did both pick Tampa, right, to win. You picked Tampa to win in six, and you nailed the prediction. And I'm I still did. mad about it. 
<laughs> I did. <laughs> Rub I it in. Terrible losers. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so am I. Ask so am my I. Family. I even when we play like board games with the kids, Jeff's like, "Are you gonna let them win?" I'm like, "No." <laughs> Are you out of your mind? Like, there is no mercy here. <laughs> yeah, the, I'm that mom. Um, <laughs> I yeah, no mercy, absolutely none. <laughs> but and Tampa didn't really show very much mercy, especially no. in game and one. You know what? Why bother? Why why should they? Why should they? Because they're yeah. they're out to send a message, especially in game one. Uh, and the message was received loud and clear, and Tampa. You know, without question, is the team that that should be playing in the finals. Well, considering what happened last year, they have a lot of demons to exercise, and they're just one step closer. But I mean, uh, wow, man did they did they ever embarrass the Islanders on a yeah. couple of occasions? That was uh, that, it was kind of hard to watch at points because I seen a lot of people saying, you know, the Islanders didn't need Tavares. Yeah, maybe you didn't need Tavares to get to you to this point, but. I, I don't know. This team is good without Tavares. I'll admit that. But like, even if they had Tavares, I don't think it would have pushed them to the final. I really don't. Um, But they ran into a really good Tampa team that, again, was dealing with a lot of injury problems. And you would think that the Islanders would have taken advantage of that, right? And they just, they, they didn't. No, and, and what we saw from game one, too, is... Uh, Islanders team that was running around and just was completely outplayed. And I, I don't think obviously, um, you know, this series finished in six, but uh, the Islanders were never really in this series. No, no, it, it, they looked like a totally different team. Like it, yeah. it wasn't even close. Um. <laughs> I'm not surprised that Tampa is in the final. Um, and again, I wanted them to make the final because after last year's embarrassing exit, they needed to find a way to bounce back because like you and I said on the live stream, that they had two choices. They either blow it up and start again from the beginning or they run with the same group and try and improve. And you know what? They kept this group basically the same and they improved exponentially. And they deserve to be here at this at this stage of the game. And mind you, it's not going to be an easy series. It, it's already looking tough for them, even though the Lightning basically outplayed Dallas. And I guess we can shift our focus to the Cup Final now to end this episode. Um, game one happened last night. You and I watched it together. And I got to tell you, the start of the game, Dallas right off the bat just stormed right into Tampa Bay zone, started firing every shot they possibly could. And then Joel Hanley finds the back of the net for his first ever NHL goal. That's how you set the tone to start the game, in my honest opinion. I thought Dallas played a good first period, even though they kind of let off the gas pedal midway through because Tampa was able to tie it. But then it was all, well, I, I shouldn't say it was all Dallas because the shot totals were not even no, close, Amanda. The shots at the end of the game were 36-20. Yeah. to and I'm trying to find the shots from the first period. I'm having a hard time finding this. But the, the, the shots were so one-sided in the second and third period. How the hell does Tampa Bay not, you know, tie this game? I am I was utterly down, dumbfounded 
with with what happened last night and how different how I don't want to say unorganized this Tampa Bay team was because they weren't unorganized. They ran into the story of the playoffs, and we talked about this last night. Anton Hudobin is playing out of his goddamn yeah. mind. Like this is not the same Hudobin we've seen in the no, past. You know, Tampa had twenty-two shots on goal in the third period compared to uh, two by Dallas, and that's that, that's unacceptable actually, if you're the stars. I, I, I think that Tampa outplayed Dallas last night, but who? Um, Hudobin outplayed Vasilevsky last night, and that's what it came. Oh, down absolutely! To. If you, if I could give the Vesda for playoff performances, Hudobin wins it hands down. Yeah. Like he's he's stolen, he stole the series against Vegas. He stole the game last night for the Dallas Stars. And like there is no question, he was the best player you know, out you there. Look at obviously, um, there's talk of. You know who's going to be the Conn Smythe winner this year, uh, and, and his name is being mentioned, and rightfully so. It has to be. It has to be him. Whether they win or lose the cup, Amanda, it has to be Hugh. Oldman. He has definitely performed extremely well. Uh, you know, an interesting fact is that you know he's nine and zero with a nine three four save percentage in the last nine games in which he has faced at least thirty shots. So, <laughs> unreal, unreal. Wow. It's literally unreal. I feel like I'm in Bizarro World right now, where Hugh Dolben is outperforming every other goaltender. Well, and it's... what I love about him so much, <laughs> did you hear the uh, interview that he did at the end of the game last night? Uh, I don't think okay, I so did. Okay, so they're trying to, of course, put the focus on him. You're in the media. Uh, we do this all the time where we're talking about, you know, a personal performance because he did have an an outstanding game one last night and all probably the best of his playoff career talk about is his teammates the play of his teammates doesn't want to talk about himself this is a guy that uh has the ability to carry this team and get them that stanley cup win no we're only one game in so so much could happen and we know way too well to never count out Tampa Bay because they're going to react in a way uh, and come back firing on all cylinders in game two uh, without question. It's not that they didn't get shots on him. Uh, It's just that he was outstanding yesterday. And and that, you know, that interview shows Uh, leadership. Without question. That's the the veterancy that every team wants to see, especially in a goaltender. That, 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 that's something you don't see very often. And it's great to see Hugh Dobin stepping up and in that you, way. You have to love the storyline, right? Because Hugh Dobin has oh, absolutely. always played a backup role, has never... He's the second fiddle. In some cases, he's been the third string, <laughs> you know, throughout yeah. his career. And, you know, he's bounced around from team to team. He's been up. He's been down. Uh and to have an opportunity like this and to be able to look down your bench when, you know, Ben Bishop goes down injury and is unfit to play. And there's probably a fair amount of questions that were asked at that point. I'm sure from a management and coaching perspective as to, is he ready? Can he do this? Uh, the stats speak for themselves. He, he can do this, you know, unreal, just unreal. It, it- it's literally unreal. I I can't believe what he's been able to do in these playoffs. I'm <laughs> again. I'm going to say this: whether or not the Stars win the cup, 
he has to be the Conn Smythe winner. There is no other exception, and there's no other player that deserves I it more think than that, him. Uh, if Dallas wins, he's definitely going to be the one that gets the Conn Smythe. Uh, if Tampa does come back and win this series, I have to think that it's a possibility that his name isn't the one that's called for the Conn Smythe. But again, I think based on who I've chosen uh, to win the cup, I think have just that feeling that he's going to be the guy. Well, you think about um, the last time a goaltender won um, the Conn Smythe w- w- on the losing side of uh, of of a Stanley Cup final was Jean Sebastien Jaguer. Like he he won the Conn Smythe back in two thousand and three, and his team was on the losing end of things. Yeah. So why 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 should Hudobin be any exception if his team somehow ends up losing the Stanley Cup at this rate? It's I don't want to say this this series is over. It's the first game, but how how is Hudobin's name not in the sole possession or the sole name in this conversation? Like the the amount, uh, mind you, that Hudobin again doesn't really garner that much respect from a lot of people because people think, oh, it's another Jordan Binghamton. He's a flash in the pan. Udoman's been in this league for a long time, man. He has gone through a lot of shit. And for him to get to this point is the stuff you see in movies. I said this last night. This is unheard of territory and something you would see in a Disney film because it's literally from screen to real life and this is happening right now and we're seeing a goaltender come out of his shell with Dallas losing their number one guy, Hudova has taken over the number one spot, and he has brought this team to this stage, not on his own, but he is a main contributor to that well, factor. Well, and, you know, it's an interesting point about Jiguer, because if you go back even further, uh, all the way to, uh, how far back are we going here, to 1966. So we're talking, you know, a ways back here, but out of, um, you know, from... Sorry, from 1965 all the way to uh, 2019, there have only been five times that a player from the opposing team has won, uh, or from the losing team has won the Conn Smythe. And of those five, only four of them have been goaltenders. And Jaguar's the most recent recent one, correct? You've got Ron Haxtell from 1987. Uh, Glenn Hall from 1968, and uh, I am going to say his name wrong, Roger Crozier from the Detroit Red Wings in 66. So, I... I, It's not... I know you have your heart set. I know you have your heart... (laughs) No, well, yeah, but still, like, recently, it has been something that we have not seen before. Typically, it's, you know, Conn Smythe is going to... Uh, a player from the winning team. But uh, like you said, it's not unrealistic to if Tampa turns things around, unless if, um, you know, there's a standout player from Tampa, but Hugh Dobin definitely, his name needs to be considered even if Dallas does not win the cup. That That's what I'm saying. Like people, people are not giving Hugh Dobin the credit he deserves. And, I, I, again, I shot down Dallas, like going into that series with Calgary. I'd even shot them down when they went up against Vegas. And you know what? Full credit to Anton Hudobin, man. He has been on top of his game. 
he's playing out of his mind, quite frankly. Um, he has to be the Conn Smythe winner, whether they win or lose. And nobody could change my mind otherwise. Yes, Tampa has a lot of great talent. Maybe they can have a couple of, you know, candidacies. But in terms of overall performance throughout this playoffs, nothing compares to what Anton Hudobin has yeah. been able to do. Nothing yeah. comes close. No, I, I think that's fair. So, so I mean, we, we'll talk more about it tomorrow because it's going to be a very pivotal game too. Uh, because, I mean, if Tampa goes down to nothing, it, it's not going to be good for them. And we'll, we'll talk about this more leading up to the game tomorrow because we have we do have a bit more to set up in terms of the game time. But, I mean, you know, Amanda, I again, I'm surprised we're at this point. I, I didn't think we were going to get to the Stanley Cup final, but here we are. I'm glad to see we're finally going to hand out the cup. You know, I, I thought I originally thought that there should be an asterisk beside the name, but you know what? Considering how well the NHL has been handling things and how professional these teams have been, there won't be an asterisk. This will be an official Stanley Cup champion, and whoever wins the cup is more than deserving of winning the cup because, I, again, I picked Philly and Vegas to be the final. I was totally wrong, um, <laughs> but, but we got two great teams. We got the underdog against a powerhouse team from the Eastern Conference, and I, I hope this series doesn't end quickly. I want it to go the distance. But it would just be great to see this all come to an end and to finally see someone lift the Stanley Cup above no, their absolutely. head. I, it's incredible that we've gotten to this point. So it it makes it special, right? That we were able to watch hockey that mattered in you know August and coming into September, of course. But um, yeah. It, it, <laughs> honestly, nobody thought that this was even going to, we were going to get to this point. So the fact that no. we're here and we're still talking about this, obviously uh, it's, it's special. It's special that they're, they were able to exactly. make it happen this year. And I commend the NHL for, uh, you know, putting everything together and, and really making a playoffs that mattered. Yeah. And a playoffs that was pretty damn entertaining oh, sure. as well. It, it, it's been a lot of fun and, I don't really want to see this journey to end because when the playoffs are over, we're not going to have much to talk about, which really sucks. So, uh, again, that's why I kind of want this to go to the distance. But, I mean, this has been a great journey, and I can't wait to see the Cup finally be awarded. No matter Again, no matter which team it is, it's going to be very special for either side. So, um, you know, hopefully we get there sooner rather than later. And at this rate, it sure looks like we're getting to that point. But that is going to do it for another episode of the DKS podcast. Our 20th episode is in the books. And again, it's it's been a great journey so far. And thanks to everyone for their continued support. Don't forget, we will be live streaming tomorrow on YouTube. Um, again, we'll let people know if the live stream is going to be during the awards or just before the game. We'll let people know on our, on our Deke Geeks pod Twitter page. Uh, so make sure you follow there and make sure you do tune into the live stream. Uh, we did run into some technical difficulties yesterday, but we'll make sure that we figure it out for tomorrow. But until we talk to you tomorrow, I'm Thomas Mercy. She's Amanda Serkowski. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Deep Geeks podcast. Make sure you follow us on all of our streaming platforms on Twitter. Make sure you follow myself and Amanda on Twitter as well. Links will be down in the description of this episode. And we will talk to you on the live stream tomorrow. Uh, for those that won't be tuning into the live stream, we'll talk to you next Sunday. Until then, take care. Stay safe. This has been another presentation of the Deep Geeks podcast. <laughs>